0: Good morning. We welcome you to these services. It's a delight to be here. Glad for each one that's here and I pray that you will pray for the services today. We are going to do a couple of messages this Sunday and next Sunday, next Sunday being Easter. We're going to do a couple of topical services, a couple topical sermons. Normally we don't do this. We normally, in a book and uh going to the book verse by verse, which has been a blessing to me and I trust it has been to those who listen. But today I'd like to spend a little time in starting in the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. Last week there was a bulletin article that touched my heart and led eventually to our message today. And it's found in the book of Exodus, chapter twenty five. The book of Exodus, chapter twenty five, has to do with the articles or several of the articles, that were going to be in the Holy of Holies in the Tabernacle. And it talks about the construction of these articles here in the book of Exodus, chapter 25, and there are three items listed here in this passage of Scripture in the book of Exodus, chapter 25. Uh, The first one is the ark that is mentioned in verses 10 through 22, Uh, the construction, the materials that were going to go into the ark, and they Every time we look here in the Old Testament, we're going to find pictures and types and shadows of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, and it makes it that much more valuable when we hear the Lord say Himself, Moses wrote of me, Moses spoke of me. Uh, When Moses was writing, he was writing about the creation uh, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he spoke about Christ. Christ is the Creator. He's the initial Creator of heaven and earth, and He's the initial Creator of our uh, Spirit, Our salvation, our regenerated being, uh, it is because of him, and we find these beautiful types and shadows throughout the Old Testament. Well, here in the book of Exodus chapter uh, 25 is no exception, for we find here a number of particular blessings with regard to our Savior, the Lord Jesus. In uh, chapter 25, and I'm going to be speaking particularly from verse 31, but uh, just to mention there's the ark is mentioned here, the table of showbread is mentioned here. And uh, when we look at the ark, the mercy seat, we find that it typifies the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. It took blood uh, to procure our redemption, and the blood of Jesus Christ uh, prevents uh, our rebellion and our rebellious attitude and nature by nature uh, from reaching the throne of God. Because inside of that box was three items that simply spoke of rebellion: the manna, the golden, uh, the uh, golden pot of manna and the table of stones, and Aaron's rod that budded. Every one of those items were as a result of, of uh, rebellion by the children of Israel. So, I'm so thankful that all my rebellion has been put under the blood, and I trust that you are too. And then we find the golden lampstand, or candlestick, is mentioned in this chapter, chapter uh, 25 and verses 31 through 40. Now, When we look at this passage of scripture, as in other passages with regard to the uh, tabernacle in particular, we're going to find that it is a picture or it's a uh, a rendition of what Moses saw in the mount. It tells us over in the book of Hebrews chapter 8, and I'm just going to go over there before I read any there in Exodus chapter 25. Over here in the book of Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5, it tells us this account, gives us this account of having a pattern, and there is a pattern. Now, if you and I today were privileged to look into heaven, if we were able to look into the throne room of God, we would not see a wooden mercy seat with golden cherubims over the top of it. We would not see a mercy seat filled with these three items, but our mercy seat is Christ. We would see Christ, the mercy seat. We would not see in heaven a table and on it showbread, for the Lord Jesus is our living bread. He is the bread of life. Those great loaves that were placed on that table of showbread certainly demonstrate that the bread of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, is all-sufficient. He is enough, even as it says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. He is able to take care of all our needs. He is able to take care of all of our spiritual food needs. It's an abundance that he has. And then we find that there's also this lampstand that is mentioned here. And if we looked into heaven, we would not see that lampstand, but we'd see the light, the glorious light of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these, all these things are remembrances of the one who saves his people from their sins. In Hebrews chapter 8, and there in verse 5, the word says, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. So there was a pattern given to Moses in the mount about all of this tabernacle, all the furniture, the boards that went on the outside, the curtains, the coverings, and all of that uh, was mentioned to Moses in the Mount, and these things were built according to that pattern, but the reality is the person Christ Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, and so as we look over here in the book of Exodus, we're going to be looking at pictures, not reality, not the real. If you have a picture of your grandparents, that's a picture, is wonderful, but it is not the very grandparents, it's not holding their hand or, or hugging them, It's uh, it's just a picture, We like the reality. We like the the fulfillment. We love the Christ. So, in the book of Exodus, chapter 25, there in verse 31, we have these words recorded for us. Exodus, chapter 25, and verse 31, And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Now, I want us to notice there that as the words are given to us, it's pure gold. There is no alloy here. There's nothing mixed with this. This is pure gold. And it's in some form, and it's of a beaten work, uh, shall the candlestick be made, his shaft and his branches, his bowls and his knobs, and his flowers shall be the same. Now, if you turn with me to the end of that chapter, there is a verse of scripture that we would like to read, and that's verse 39. In chapter 25, verse 39, it says here, Chapter 25 and verse 39. Of a talent of gold, pure gold, shalt thou make it with all these vessels. So we have a talent of pure gold. Now according to my friend John Gill, I find that he says that a talent, a holy talent weighed 120 pounds. That's hundred or one thousand four hundred and forty troy ounces, and today, gold at about eighteen dollars an ounce, that's over two million five hundred thousand dollars worth of gold. There's a quite a substance of gold here. it is pure gold, and then we notice there in verse thirty one how this lampstand, this candle stand, is to be made and it tells us there in chapter. 20, uh, excuse me, uh, chapter 25 of the book of Exodus, chapter 25, and there in verse 31. I'd like us to read that again as it shares with us how this candlestand was to be made. Exodus chapter 25, and there in verse 31. It tells us there, and thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work. A candlestick of pure gold of beaten work. Beaten. What must happen then? If we think about this, what must happen? What must happen about this? Now we know that the gold speaks of the great value, the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. He said to his Father in his great high priestly prayer, Restore unto me the glory that I had with you. When he came down to this earth, he did not leave. Uh, his Godhead behind. He was God the very God. Man the very man. The, the man without sin. He, he lived among sinners. He was made after man, yet without sin. No, no taint of sin on him. He was among sinners. He visited with sinners. He prayed for sinners. He saved sinners. He healed sinners. But he did not have that sin upon him. He did not have that sin in him. Perfect. This word beaten, this word is a noun indicating hammered work. It describes work that has been hammered out. So when we look at this lampstand, it is to be a beaten work. It doesn't tell us that they were to melt that gold and then form it, cast it in the sand or some cast. It doesn't tell us that they were to do anything with it except beat it out. It's a beaten work. This process so represents the work of our Lord Jesus Christ in order to redeem his sheep. Sin is the culprit, and Christ is the solution. Sin separates. Christ reconciles. Sin darkens. Christ is the light. And sin requires death, but Christ can give and does give eternal life to his people. What a glorious thought we find with regard to our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And yet, in order for him to redeem us, in order for him to save us, in order for him to have a uh, position back with the Father in this great covenant of grace, he had this responsibility placed upon him. And we might say at this point uh, in our message this morning that redemption is an agonizing work. And we find with regard to our Savior, the Lord Jesus, that it was an agonizing work. He was going to be a representation, or or this candlestick was going to be a representation of what was going to happen to him as he saved his people. This candlestick was going to be made not by casting not by pouring, but by beaten work. It was going to be beaten into that form. There was going to be one lump, and it was going to be beaten into the form. It was a glorious lump. It was of pure gold, and it was going to have a hammer taken to it by an artisan that knew what he was doing. There was a man that was assigned to this responsibility, and he was going to take the gold, and he was going to beat it until it was what was required, and that was this lampstand. Christ must be beaten. The gold must come under the great hammer of justice. This pure, glorious gold, the Lord Jesus, must come under the great hammer of justice. The Christ must endure the torments without limit to free one from sin's due. He must endure this, and he promised to endure this. He didn't come down here for any other reason than to lay down his life, a ransom for many, to go to the cross. Uh, Spare the sinner and pour all the punishment on me. That's what we hear the Lord saying, in essence. Spare the sinner, spare my elect, spare my lambs, spare my lost sheep, and lay all the punishment on me. God in his great consents. Grace consents. The and here we have the beforehand report. Now when I will go over to the book of Isaiah chapter fifty three here. In Isaiah chapter fifty three some wonderful statements about the Lord Jesus and it is almost as if it was happening at that time. This whole a uh, uh, scenario of the Lord Jesus Christ redeeming his people is mentioned here in Isaiah chapter 53, and yet Isaiah was written about 800 years before Christ. It just seems as we're reading the news as it was happening at that time. Isaiah chapter 53 puts us at the scene, and yet it's 800 years before what took place there in the New Testament. In Isaiah chapter 53, we have one who has seen the Lord high and lifted up. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And that's one thing that we find throughout the scriptures, that the Savior, the Savior of his people, the Redeemer of his people, the Redeemer of the lost sheep, the one who buys them all back and pays for them in full, without one sin being left behind, this one is the high and lifted up one. He is the sovereign of the universe. He is the creator of heavens and earth. So it is a wonderful thing that we find the Lord Jesus is spoken of here in the book of Isaiah in such terms that it is if that great artisan was taking the gold that was assigned him, that gold that was assigned him to make this candlestick, and it was to be a beaten work. we find that this great artisan is going to take this from a picture standpoint, and we're going to look at it as the person Christ Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53 was written long before the events, but those events are just in our minds as we look back on them. This heavenly gold took on the form of a man for this great beating by the Father's justice, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, in covenant mercy, determined this is the only way that a man, a woman, a boy or girl could ever be saved. They must be saved by the Savior. Not one whit of their righteousness will be used in this great purpose and plan of God. In Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 1, Isaiah is brought to the truth about this whole revelation here of this, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? What a statement is made here as the Holy Spirit gives Isaiah those words, and we find that the apostle Peter, the disciples, and particularly the apostle Peter, was asked one time about who who does you say that what's the world say I am and who do you say that I am? And Peter responded to that and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus Christ did not stop and say, Well, that's very good of you. You've learned that lesson well. Jesus Christ did not stop and say, I appreciate what you have to say, and your teachers have taught you well in Sunday school, or your preachers have been very faithful to preach to you about me. But he said this, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven." Now, we love faithful preachers, and we love faithful uh, uh, Bible class teachers. We love faithful people, but the revelation comes from God. The revealing of Jesus Christ comes from God. As we heard this morning in the Bible class, one planted, another watered, but God gives the increase. And there's no greater place to see that truth than right here as the uh, prophet, the the pastor The ambassador Isaiah was declaring it. Now, in Isaiah chapter 53, and verse 3, it says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, for he was despised, and we esteemed him not. We notice right off in this chapter that Isaiah is used to write the words of God, the words of the Holy Spirit, and declare what is going to happen to the Redeemer, to the substitute, to the Lamb of God, that in the covenant of grace there is only one way that sin can be handled and it is so, uh, so f- far gone, man is so far gone that it is going to require the blessed Son of God to redeem him. And he is the only one that can. Sin is so terrible, so horrible. So even when he came, and there were those who anticipated his coming through the prophets of the Old Testament, but he came unto his own, and his own received him not. He came into the world, the world received him. Uh, had nothing to do with him, and I've got that a little bit confused, but you'll forgive me, won't you? Uh, here it says, uh, he is despised and rejected of men. He's a man of sorrows, and he's acquainted with grief entire ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is among the tombs, if you please. And he knows that he's going to go to this tomb and raise someone spiritually from that. He's going to save a certain one here. He's going to save a certain one there. He knows where to go. He knows what to preach. He knows the gospel. He is the declaration of the gospel, and people will be saved. But he doesn't waste his time in some of the false tombs. He doesn't go there. He goes to the places where his lost sheep are, well, here in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4, we have a word stricken and we have a word smitten, to lay the hand upon, or smitten, to strike, to smite, to hit, to beat. There in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 4, Surely he hath bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, and we did esteem him, esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. When we view this, we're going to find out it wasn't the Romans. Yeah, they participated. They participated as it was purposed by God. It wasn't the Jews, it wasn't the the uh, Sanhedrin, it wasn't the high priest that did all of this, but they did what they did on purpose as was assigned to them by the Holy Spirit of God to do that. It was on purpose. And here, we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God. And we notice that to lay the hands upon him, to strike, what happened over there to that gold that was pounded into a candlestick? It was hammered with a hammer, it was stricken, it was smitten, and here we find the striking and the smiting is of the Lord, is of God. And then it goes on to tell us in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5, he's wounded, he was bore through, he was pierced, he was bruised, he was beat to pieces, break and crush. Chastisement is correction, discipline, and rebuke, and stripes, to bruise, to wound, and to blow. These words that are used in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. They all indicate in very clear words what was taking place with that gold to be beaten into that candlestick. Here we have it applied to the Son of God. Long before it took place, but the prophecy is here, and as if we are standing there at the scene, watching this go on in Isaiah chapter fifty three and verse six is laid on him, all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's all the sheep, and no one else laid on him. God the Father against whom we have sinned has laid on Christ his own Son the sins of all his elect ones. All sins of all his were collected together and made one and placed on him from all the generations before the time of Christ, during the time of Christ, and all generations after the time of Christ, every elect one in all that mass of folks All their sins was laid on him that day when he was on the cross. God was able to amass the sins of all the people that he had chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world and lay it on him. I can't comprehend that, but I'm thankful it is so true. By this means, the law and justice of God had full satisfaction, only because of this. It wasn't going to be because men and women were going to do a good job or do a good thing, but it was because of this ministry of God the Father on his Son on the behalf of his people. In Isaiah chapter fifty-three and verse seven we find he's oppressed. It is there was a required payment. A required payment is upon him, and afflicted to bow down, to be humbled. Isaiah 53 and verse 7, it says, He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. In verse uh, uh, 8, he was stricken, he was struck, he was wounded. All of these things in these verses share with us a little bit of what went on with that gold over there in the book of Exodus chapter 25. That that gold was beaten. Here we read various words in different manners and different means are shared with us in doing what was required in order to set his people free. He truly was bruised for our transgressions. That means he was beaten. It was required. Sin requires drastic measures. It's either will be us or him. Either he's the substitute or we'll pay for it ourselves. And those on the left, left-hand side will never be able to pay completely and fully because they continue to sin throughout eternity. Verse 10 of this, of this chapter says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. To bruise, bruise, to crush, to beat down. Can you see a grape or an olive or a grain of wheat under this kind of pressure? When Jesus Christ went to the Garden of Gethsemane, in that was a place where they crushed olives to get the oil out. It was stone around. And then they had this great wheel that they rolled over the top of those olives and crushed them until the oil would drip out and they could collect it. He was going to suffer many things. As we look at this scene in Isaiah 53, this scene is forwarded to the New Testament. So turn with me, if you would, to the New Testament, to the book of Matthew chapter 16. In the book of Matthew chapter 16, we find the Lord speaking about these very things. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21, we have these words the words of the Lord Jesus with regard to what was going to happen. Matthew 16, verse 21, it tells us, as he's instructing his disciples, that these words, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem. That word must. This is in the covenant of grace. He did not come down here to set up an earthly kingdom. And where I grew up, He came down here. He was rejected from doing that. He had to go to the cross, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not what God said. God said, this is all done on purpose. All things work together for the good of them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. This is the purpose of God. He must go unto Jerusalem, and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and, hallelujah, be raised again the third day. He fills the whole thing in. He shares with us as what is happening in Isaiah 53 is brought up here in the book of Matthew. Again, uh, just go ahead, just one book to the book of Luke chapter 9, verse 22. Luke chapter 9 and verse 22, we have these words brought out. As the Lord again saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be slain and raised the third day. He is going to Jerusalem, and when he gets to Jerusalem, he is going to be arrested. He is going to be tried, and you can talk about all how how um, manipulated that trial was and how foolish it was and how unlawful it was. Books are written on that nonsense. But this is actually God's eternal purpose, being carried out. Pilate was appointed. Judas was appointed. The disciples were appointed to refuse him, reject him. This is all happening according to purpose, as it tells us in the book of Acts, several places, and as well as throughout the rest of the scriptures. Nothing is done by happenstance when it comes to God. Here in the book of Matthew, going back to the book of Matthew, to chapter 20, In chapter 20 and verse 19, we read these words the Lord Jesus Christ shares with us. Matthew chapter 20 verse 19, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge, to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. This is all foretelling the events that are going to take place. They're all prophesied in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53 declares that. Psalm 22 and Many, many other places in the Old Testament declare what is going to happen. He will be pierced. He will be crucified. He will be brought before, uh, 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 as a sheep before shears is dumb. Open not his mouth. He didn't defend himself. He just said, I am. I am the king. Well, as it goes on here in Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28, the Word of God says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, now notice this with me, notice this, and to give his life a ransom for many. Oh my, if there was ever an opportunity for Christ to say anything else but this about who he was going to save, this would have been it. But you know what he had to say about the issue? It doesn't matter what other preachers are saying, it doesn't matter what you believe. You may believe that Jesus died for everybody in the world. And if that's so, many people that he died for are going to hell. But he said, right here, he died to ransom many. Oh, he's saying the truth right there. He came uh, to ransom many. Now, we find that when he went to Gethsemane, he's in a place where that great olive press is. And it's indicative of what he's going to go through. He sweat as it were great drops of blood there. It's very pictorial. It uh, shadows what's happening. In the book of Matthew here, Matthew chapter 27. Would you turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 27? In Matthew chapter 27, we read here in verse 33. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 33. The scriptures share this. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 33. And when they were come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, the place of the skull. Now this is after the trial. This is after he's been betrayed by Judas. Been taken. I have to say, just a moment here. We bring this up often. That Judas kissed him, identified him, and they. He said, "Whom do you seek?" And they said, "Jesus of Nazareth." And he says, "I am." And they were on their face. They no more had any power over him than a fly. They were just there to carry out the purpose of God. And he demonstrated to them he's in charge of this. He's taken and tried. He's moved to this place and that place, Pilate, Herod. They finally, they finally scourge him. Pilate's ready to let him go. He's traded for Barabbas, and then he's let out. He is treated as a common criminal. He's treated as a thief. He's treated as a robber, and he's going to be crucified between two thieves. But as it says here, they took him to the place of a skull. This is a common place for crucifixion outside of Jerusalem. And in fact, the Old Testament throughout the, uh, uh, books of Moses there, uh, Leviticus and Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, various places, he would be taken without the gate. And all, some of those sacrifices were without the city. They gave him vinegar to drink and mingle with gall. This is supposed to be a bitter, or not only a bittering agent, but a, uh, uh, an agent to uh, prevent pain or to help with pain. And he had tasted thereof. He Would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments. They crucified him. Now there was someone made those nails. Someone brought that tree. Someone pounded those nails. Someone jabbed him with a spear. All appointed by God to do this very thing. This is what man wanted to do with the God, the very God. They had their opportunity to do this and they did it. But Jesus Christ is on the cross on purpose. He is there to save his people from their sins. He's there to purchase them, to redeem them, to ransom them, just as he said. They crucified him, parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Now, as we follow this scene, we're going to see that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven the darling Son of God, the one appointed to be the substitute for his people, this one is going to have what appeared over there in the book of Exodus, chapter 25, as they took that pure gold, he is going to have this applied to him. He is going to be a beaten work. Isaiah wrote of it. Isaiah, not did not just predict it. Isaiah wrote about what was actually going to happen as if it was happening while he was writing. And then we get to the New Testament. We find the Lord Jesus Christ was lifted up uh, here between heaven and earth on a cross. Uh, There's a time early in his life there uh, the man came in and lifted him up that had decided uh, her new Uh, of a fact that he was not going to die until he'd seen the Lord's Christ. When he saw him, he said, My eyes have seen my salvation. He was lifted up. Here he's lifted up in a very different way. He's going to be lifted up as a sacrifice before God the Father, as a sacrifice before God. He's going to be lifted up, and God is going to deal with him, as is written in the book of Isaiah. He is going to be the beaten work. He is going to face the justice of God. God, the justice of the law. Man cannot come into the presence of God with vile sin. They must be in as innocent, and the only way that that can happen is their sin must be taken care of. Sin that is within them, sin before they were born, sin after they're born, sin all their life, everything, even the, the sin that they don't even know about, must be taken care of. Sin against God, Against thee and thee only have I sinned, but we've sinned against our brother, we've sinned against our family. Those all must be taken care of, every bit of them. And they are brought from all parts of the world of in a in a spiritual sense. They brought from everywhere, and all of them are placed upon him there on the cross. It tells us here that uh in Isaiah excuse me, Matthew chapter twenty seven. Matthew chapter twenty seven and verse forty six, the Lord cries this great cry that's recorded over in the book of Psalms, Psalm 22. The Lord shares with us here in verse 46, in about the ninth hour. Now remember that it's darkness over the face of the earth. It's darkness, I can, I can just imagine that you could feel. It's a darkness that was down there in Egypt, in Egypt, but they had light over here in where the uh, Israelites were. But this is the darkness that you can feel. This is a darkness over the whole earth as this great transaction takes place, as this one, the Lord Jesus, is taken upon by the justice of God, by the hammer of justice, as God pours out his intense wrath upon sin, as the Lord Jesus Christ is covered with our sin, is placed upon him, it's imputed to him, he did not become a sinner, but he took sinner's sin upon him. And God the Father pours out his righteous judgment upon him as he would pour it out on us for eternity if we didn't have him as Savior. Here we have him, but as a spread out before God on that cross as sin is placed upon him, then he is going to feel the hammer He becomes the beaten work, as we read over there in the book of Isaiah. And here, in the book of Matthew, chapter 27, and in verse 46, the scriptures share this, And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, And this is as close as we can get to the torment that he was going through. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We can't get any closer to the terribleness of sin. Now, we know how terrible it is, but when the Son of God cries out to God, Why hast thou forsaken me? When sin had become so oppressive, when the beaten work, and yet as purposed in the covenant of grace, this too would come to an end. There was a time, when that man that was beating that talent of gold into the candlestick finally said, it's finished. It's ready to be put into the holy place. It's finished. All has been done. It's complete. This gold, which was once just beautiful gold, has been hammered into this golden candlestick. It's going to provide the light. Well, there's a time during this time that, The Lord Jesus is going to say, God the Father is going to say, God the Holy Spirit is going to say, it is finished. The beaten work is so beautiful. Redemption is so beautiful. The light that it gives to his children is so wonderful. The glory is so delightful. Everything about this is so perfect that redemption has taken care Redeeming, the redeeming qualities of the blood of the Lamb have taken care of. So, we find there in verse uh, chapter 27 and verse 50, Jesus, when he had cried with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. His statement is, it is finished. The bruising is over. All that was to be meted out to him as is prophesied by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53 and all the other passages found throughout the scriptures about what must happen to him as he recorded it before his disciples. I must go to Jerusalem. I must suffer many things. I must be crucified. We find that he yielded up the ghost after he said, It is finished. The gold of great value had been beaten. A great Savior is declared. He shed His blood to redeem a people, a specific people, His people. We are ruined by the fall. Uh, So ruined. So ruined that it required the Son of God to come redeem us. We are redeemed by the blood of Christ, by the blood of the Lamb, purchased, bought back. Not one sin is left because He has purchased it with His own life, with His own blood. He has taken the beating that justice required. We are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And after he cried this cry, he was buried. Now the promise is, as he said, in all those other places, Jesus said during his own life, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, the Son of Man will come out. Here he shared with his disciples. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Brother Craig read this this morning. I want to read just a couple of verses here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As the gospel is so declared here, it's not a formula, it's a statement about the mighty work of God that Jesus Christ truly bore our sin. He truly was a beaten work before God that He truly, because He became sin for us, didn't become a sinner, but He had sin imputed to Him that this great work of redemption was completed. Here in Isaiah, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is God's eternal purpose, that Jesus Christ would be successful in what he came to do, that he would lay down his life, a ransom for many, that he would have the wrath of God imposed upon him as that talent of gold was beaten into a fine piece of furniture, the Lord Jesus Christ was beaten by the Father in a sense as justice was poured out on Him, and He became the head of His family. He became the Redeemer of His people. He became the Savior of His people. He came, his name shall be called Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. And so He's buried. Now His disciples didn't realize this at the time. We look back and we say, Oh, thank God just as he promised, because we look after back after it all took place. Lord willing, next Sunday, we'll look at that resurrection, that glorious resurrection, and the benefits of that resurrection. But there were some disciples, when they saw him, didn't know who he was. There were some disciples, that when they saw him, they were concerned. And when they couldn't find him, they were concerned. There was lots of concerns. But he took care of it all, because he had promised That after three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, he would come out victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave, and we could stand with him as sinners saved by grace. Thank you. May God bless you.